This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week, Damaso Garcia, card number 241. Damaso Garcia, second baseman for the Atlanta Braves. Okay, Damaso Garcia. This should be a great one. Before we get to that, we do have follow-up from last week's episode with Alvin Davis. The requester of the Alvin Davis card, Upper Deck 1990 on Twitter, posted the 1990 Upper Deck Alvin Davis card, which of course is prettier than the 1988 (laughs) Tops Alvin Davis card. He also posted a song called Harold and Alvin. And Matt, this song is by Main Attraction. Main Attraction, an acapella group from Seattle, and the song was included on a compilation called Seattle, a Baseball Town, that was full of songs about the Mariners and connected to the Mariners. So we may need to revisit this. I haven't listened to the whole thing. I'm I'm sure that there's a Ray Quinones song on there. <laughs> uh, it looks like there's songs about the day the kingdom was knocked down. There's one about Jay Buhner, Jamie Moyer. So, you know, probably going to be songs about other Mariners greats like Mike Kingery or Scott Bradley. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, and maybe f- did Foo Fighters contribute to this one? Because there's a, there's a they have a great song about the Kingdom. But there is this Harold and Alvin song, David. It is excellent. And I love acapella. I, I have a podcast about acapella groups called Melodious Thunk. But I have never heard this Harold and Alvin song before. And I think it's a great one, so let's take a listen. this song really trades around this one line Harold and Alvin second and first they were the best when the M's were the worst which as we talked about in Alvin Davis's episode that was truly the case for Alvin and probably why he didn't get the recognition that we think he deserves undoubtedly very good rhyming and and songwriting there and good harmonies too so thank you for the follow-up I think that helps to close this chapter of the Alvin Davis saga. Great guy and great tune. So now let's move on to Damaso Garcia. And David, you had me pumped up for this episode by saying that there was a Weston McKinney connection to Damaso Garcia. And so I am, I'm curious what you had in mind here. And then also, in addition, you showed up at my house and delivered a box of Weston McKinney branded UEFA Champions League trading cards. So I'm, I'm with bated breath, I'm wondering what's going on here. The cards were manufactured to the number that were ordered. So it took a while for them to 
to get delivered. In the course of my waiting for those cards to get delivered, Weston McKinney has taken uh, quite a roller coaster ride, you know, breaking COVID protocols, being in and out of the Juventus lineup. And so I wasn't sure when these cards were going to come. It's a very tenuous connection between him and Damaso Garcia, but Damaso Garcia was a two sport athlete. Hmm. Mostly, I think that this was a fortuitous timing here that we picked Damaso Garcia and these cards showed up right around the same time. So, Matt, I don't know if you just want to, we can open these up and see if yeah. we get anything good. Sounds good. Yeah. I saw this limited edition, uh, limited edition packs of cards for sale that were designed by Weston McKinney. And I know, I think we joked about Weston McKinney content on this podcast before. This this 1988 Topps Baseball Card podcast that often wanders into soccer territory, wanders into U.S. men's national team territory. I thought that Topps soccer cards designed by Weston McKinney are right up our alley. And so I ordered these, and then it took like months for them to arrive. And we just opened them up. Do you get anything good? I got several things that I think are pretty good. Well, probably the most notable is what seems like a limited edition numbered card, a very thick hologram card of Weston McKinney. It's numbered 82 of 99. Each pack of five or six cards, half of them were of Weston McKinney. So half of these, in the five, in the 40-something cards that are in these packs, there's... Uh, they're almost all Weston McKinney. I mean, the, the set is called Weston McKinney, What It Takes. And apparently that means what it takes to be Weston McKinney. <laughs> There's a lot of pictures of him as an adorable child, him preparing for games, other great midfielders, other great American players. It is a limited edition set, so it was only printed to the number that were ordered. So that card number whatever out of 99 you know it's you can sell that pay down the mortgage sounds great i liked the uh the tyler adams and christian pulisic national hero cards were very good i also liked this extremely rare and probably uncorrected error card of weston mckinney wearing a face mask when visiting the Allianz stadium for the first time weston famous for his creative following of covid protocols that was digitally added face mask i also got the weston mckinney national hero and i think that that's as good a place as any to to stop our u.s men's national team talk and move into our damaso garcia conversation matt i did tell you that there is some connection i mostly lied about that there is some connection <laughs> here been totally fooled <laughs> damaso garcia was a two-sport athlete, and he played for his nation's national soccer team. So that is the connection to Weston McKinney. I mostly shoehorned that in. This is also an interesting card because Damaso Garcia is best known for playing in Toronto for the Blue Jays. So this is one of those players just looking wrong in a uniform cards. And if you look at the back of the card, you will see that at this point, he was on the disabled list for all of 1987, so he had not even played in Atlanta. Damaso had a fiery relationship with his manager in Toronto, but he was a very good player for the Blue Jays at the beginning of their ascendancy in the 80s. And we need to acknowledge before we start here, there is a 
a great obituary from Sam Gazdzik at ripbaseball.com that we will link to in the show notes. And sadly, Damaso has passed away. He passed away in 2020. So we will talk a little bit about that later on. Let's go to the front of 241. And Damaso Garcia, we've got a very standard portrait of Damaso Garcia. He is posing for the camera with his bat on his shoulder. He's got his hat tipped very far back so that you can see almost all of his hair underneath it. Yeah, I don't know if he just didn't want to mess up his hair, if he didn't have a hat because he was injured and wasn't actually playing at this time. Not sure what was happening here, but he is wearing an ill-fitting hat that is just kind of resting on the top of his poofy hair. <laughs> yeah, also, this is a, you know, this is a spring training look. You've got, obviously, a minor league field with legible advertisements, something we don't often see. The outfield wall and scoreboard in the back, you can clearly see the brand names Sharp. And Marlboro, you can pretty well make out, although it's a little fuzzy. But overall, I think that uh, Damaso has got, you can kind of call it a smile. He's kind of smizing here. He's kind of smiling with his eyes. This is a good classic card look. One of those, if you look back at 60s and 70s cards, this would fit right in this picture. Timeless. Except for the weird hair hat combination. <laughs> that one, not that part, not so timeless. Well, let's flip to the back of 241. Damaso Garcia, six feet, 185, right handed batter and thrower. Signed by the Yankees 1975 as a free agent. Born February 7th, 1957 in Mocha, Dominican Republic, with his home in Mocha, Dominican Republic. The city of Mocha is a city of 170,000 people in the north central region of the Dominican Republic. And the city is known as the Village of Heroes due to the involvement of Mocha-connected individuals in efforts and assassinations bringing down two Dominican dictators, Ulysses Hero and Rafael Trujillo. It's also famous for the Iglesia Corazon Sagrada de Jesus, a beautiful cathedral with glass imported from Italy. Famous Mocha residents, other than those dictator assassins, include current major leaguers Yimmy Garcia, who, when I last saw him, was having a rough time against the White Sox a few weeks back, and a 2021 All-Star Brewers pitcher, Freddie Peralta. Damaso was one of four children. His father worked as a custodian at the Iglesia Corazon Sagrada de Jesus and earned enough money to support his family. Barely. The family was very poor when Damaso was growing up. He played a little baseball when he was about seven, but he admitted that he was afraid of the ball. Garcia said, we played a baseball game on Saturday, and I used to fear the ball because I knew if I got hit, I could not play soccer on Sunday. Everybody expected me to play soccer, and then my coach told me that I would just have to give up baseball and play soccer. And so he did, and he didn't play baseball again until he was 18. So again, bringing us back to what he has in common with Weston McKinney, he was good enough to play on his country's national team. He was the captain of the Dominican Republic national soccer team. Soccer is a very secondary sport in the Dominican, and it has been for a while. In the 1960s, when players like Juan Marichal, the Alou brothers, and others became baseball stars, baseball took over, and teams started signing players and bringing them to the United States. 
And so the country doesn't really have a strong competitive soccer history. They've never made a World Cup or even played in the final round of a CONCACAF championship or a Gold Cup. They didn't have a professional soccer league until 2015, and they're improving a bit, but they still have a long way to go for soccer to overtake baseball as a way off the island. Nevertheless, Damaso was a very good athlete and a very good soccer player, and he captained his team at the 1974 Central American and Caribbean Games. The Dominican team went 1-0-3 in that tournament and didn't make it out of the first round. As the country didn't have a professional league and there wasn't really an outlet for players, pro soccer wasn't an option for Damaso or other Dominican players, even those playing at an international level. And so at that point, he decided to pick up a baseball bat again. And at that point, he's 18 years old, and scout Epi Guerrero sees him playing a few games at shortstop. And after about 30 at-bats, Epi took him aside and asked him to run a 60-yard dash. Damaso ran a 6.5-second 6, 6 60-yard dash. Epi said, can you play long-distance catch? He had a good arm. And they decided to put him at second base. And he was offered a contract to sign with the Yankees. We like to talk about scouts. Epi Guerrero was a legendary Dominican scout. He scouted for the Astros, Yankees, Blue Jays, and Brewers over the course of a 40-year career, signing many players who made it big in the 80s, including Damaso, Tony Fernandez, Cesar Cedeno. Epi passed away in 2013, but before he passed, he was inducted into the Dominican Sports Hall of Fame and was given the Legends in Scouting Award from the Professional Baseball Scouts Foundation. Damaso signs this contract, and this is his way off the island and a way to help the finances of his family. Damaso would start out at Anianta, and he had to learn how to field. He had 11 errors in 16 games, and then he went to his coach and said, I need to work on this help me out. And the coach in the minors would joke with him that if he made another error, it was back to the soccer field. <laughs> but Garcia turned his fielding around and fielded well enough the next season at Fort Lauderdale to earn himself a fun fact. That's right. Fun fact at the bottom of the card, Damaso led Florida State League's second baseman with 273 putouts, a 968 fielding percentage, and 83 double plays in 1976. This is one year after really taking up a glove again. It's pretty amazing and maybe also a sign of the times of baseball in the 70s that you didn't have players who were fully dedicated <laughs> and had been fully coached and that a guy could come in and one year later be a pretty good fielder and a pretty good batter at a relatively high level. Also at Fort Lauderdale, he hit 265, had 18 steals. He was a good contact hitter, but throughout his career, he very rarely walked. He also kept his strikeouts low. He said the most difficult part of his move to the United States is American food doesn't have flavor. They serve rice with nothing on it. That is correct. So he perseveres through the bland white rice of America, gets promoted to double A as a 20-year-old, and hits 265 with nine triples and then promoted to AAA by 1978, where he again was sitting 268. He's really consistent in the minors. His his average was in the 265, 268 range, and his OPS was always consistently low, <laughs> 650, 660. 
but that was kind of expected for a second baseman at the time in the 70s and 80s. And he earned a call up to the Yankees in June of 1978 when Willie Randolph had to sit out a few games due to an injury. And Damaso makes his first appearance as a defensive replacement on June 24th. The next day, he got a start and got a single in his second at bat. He ends up getting sent back to AAA in July. So as you said, the first line of the card has his 1978 stats, only 18 games and a 195 average and 195 slugging. So not super impressive at the plate. 1979, again, did a short stint in the big leagues, but spent the majority of the time in AAA. He played in 11 games, 271 at AAA, but 263 in 11 games with the Yankees. The Yankees knew that Willie Randolph was going to be there for a while. He was an all-star second baseman, and he was going to block Damaso from getting to the big leagues. So they decided to make a move after the 1979 season, which would turn out pretty good for Damaso. Yeah, November 1st, 1979, Garcia is traded by the Yankees with Chris Chambliss and Paul Mirabella to the Toronto Blue Jays for Rick Cerrone, Tom Underwood, and Ted Wilborn. Chambliss was traded to Atlanta a month later. Mirabella didn't do much in Toronto. Cerrone was productive for the Yankees, and we'll get to his card later in the series. Underwood had a decent 1980, and Wilborn didn't do much in Major League Baseball. Damaso, on the other hand, got consistent playing time in Toronto as the starting second baseman. And at this point, Epi Guerrero was working for the Blue Jays and knew this guy from way back and was able to talk Toronto's management into bringing him in. And Garcia paid off for them. He hit 278 with 30 doubles, finishing fourth in the Rookie of the Year vote behind Joe Charbonneau. He was also collecting a consistent major league paycheck at this point. And he was sending $300 a month back home to his mother and father in Mocha. He said, I signed to play baseball for one reason, to help my mother and father. I was poor, my family was poor, and now I've got a chance to help them. $4,000 a year is a lot of money in Dominican Republic, $1980. It can make a huge difference for a family. 1981, that was the strike season. So his numbers are a little off there as they are for everybody. But this is a good sign of things to come, David. He stole he stole the same number of bases in 64 games that he had in 140 games in 1980. His speed really ends up picking up. He shows that throughout his career. He had really good speed. And if you watch, there's a couple videos of him. He's, he's very fast and, and very athletic. 1982, he opened the season in a contract dispute. The Blue Jays thought that they had reached an agreement with Garcia for a $300,000 per year deal, but Garcia didn't sign. He refused to accept his paychecks from the Blue Jays, so they renewed him to his 1981 deal with a raise. And this is just one of many disagreements that he had (laughs) with Blue Jays management. And he was sometimes viewed as a stubborn individual. But 1982 ends up being his best offensive season yet. Hit 310, stole 54 bases, which was second in the American League. Was also caught 20 times, which is second in the American League as well. 32 doubles and only walked 21 times. That was the second best total of his career. (laughs) He got an MVP vote that season, finishing 26th in MVP voting. And was the Blue Jays MVP and won the Silver Slugger Award for AL second baseman, which is kind of funny because he had five home runs. (laughs) Quite the slugger. 
<laughs> Big slugging. He follows that up with another season hitting over 300, hitting 307 in 1983. 31 steals, and the Blue Jays are getting good at this point. They won 89 games that year. This was the first time that they finished over 500 in the history of the Blue Jays. This was the first of many seasons that the Blue Jays would finish over 500. In fact, every season through 1993. And Donaso was part of that team for a few of those good years when the Blue Jays started to really put it together. He also had a career-high 24 walks in 1983, <laughs> but only a 336 on on-base percentage. Oh, my. Not great for a leadoff hitter. Not a, very, not a very patient hitter. Not a very patient hitter. 1984, he starts fast, hitting 394 at the end of April. Slows down a bit, but is still hitting above 300 at the All-Star break with 27 steals and ends up getting named to his first All-Star team. And that leads to one of my favorite stories that I've come across in this 1988 top set. In 1984, Donaso's double play partner was his fellow Dominican, Alfredo Griffin. And Donaso was given a plus one to the All-Star weekend. Normally, players would bring wives or girlfriends. Garcia said that both of their wives had gone to the Dominican Republic for a few weeks. And so he had an extra ticket. So he invited Alfredo Griffin to join him. Griffin joins for the trip. He's just hanging out. And then Alan Trammell gets injured and has to pull out of the game. Griffin was already in San Francisco. He's a shortstop. He said he was sitting in the hotel room watching TV, and he got a call asking if he wanted to play in the All-Star game. <laughs> Joe Altabelli, who was the coach of the Orioles, said he picked Griffin, quote, partly because he's a fine player, but mostly because he was there. <laughs> So sometimes good... Alfredo Griffin is is listed on these worst all-star lists because he was hitting only 241. He walked even less than Garcia did, but he was there. It's not his fault that he was invited to come play and take part in an all-star game. Yeah, it's you got to show up. Showing up is sometimes half the battle. So very well done, Alfredo. Garcia ends up going 0-for-1 in the All-Star game, and Griffin was subbed in and played three innings but didn't get an at-bat, but they still both make All-Star appearances. Garcia ends up finishing the season with a solid 282 average, 46 steals. Now moving into 1985, the Blue Jays had a great team with Bell, Barfield, and Mosby in the outfield. Garcia's double play partner is now another Dominican, shortstop Tony Fernandez. You've got Dave Steeb, Doyle Alexander, Jimmy Key, and the illustrious Tom Henke on the mound. So this is a fantastic Blue Jays team. And Damaso had a season that we would expect from him, hitting 282, 28 steals, a career-high eight home runs, and 65 RBIs, also a career-high. He missed some time late in the season with a knee injury, but he got a chance to play in the playoffs for the first time. He didn't hit up to his normal standard. He... Went seven for 30, a 233 average, but four of those seven hits were doubles. On top of those seven hits, he also walked three times, which by Damaso Garcia standards is very good. And against all odds, he walked to lead off the ninth inning of game four and scored from first on a double to tie up a 1 0 game. The Blue Jays would go on to win that game and go up three to one in the series. Unfortunately, they then lost. <laughs> the next three games and lost the series in seven games to the Royals. After 1985, Bobby Cox, who was the Blue Jays manager, ends up leaving to join the Atlanta Braves as the general manager. And 
We move into 1986. This is the last line of stats we have on the card. Damaso Garcia ends up missing significant time in 1986 for a couple reasons. The Blue Jays had a new manager, Jimmy Williams, who had been the third base coach. He and Damaso clashed. Garcia was moved out of the leadoff spot, and the team was slumping. And it kind of makes sense to move a low on-base percentage guy out of the leadoff spot. Tony Fernandez became the Blue Jays' regular leadoff hitter. He took a few more walks than Garcia did, 27 to Damaso's 13 in 1986. And Garcia was often used in the nine spot, which is probably a good spot to have a guy who hits 280, but is a blow to Garcia's ego. The Blue Jays were in last place in May, and after a game in Oakland, Damaso had made a key error and went 0 for 4. And he thought this was a symptom of bad luck. So he did the, I mean, I guess really what anyone should do when they're, they feel like maybe that their game is possessed and that's try to you burn exor- it down, exercise burn it, it with, down. burn it down, exercise it with fire. He takes his Blue Jays uniform and cap into the showers in the visitors clubhouse at the Oakland Coliseum, douses it all with alcohol and lights it on fire. He said, I was just frustrated with myself, frustrated with the way I've been playing. Some guys break bats, break up clubhouses. I decided to go a little crazy and burn my uniform. (laughs) Garth Orge said his uniform didn't really burn. It kind of just melted away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the coach didn't appreciate it either. So Jimmy Williams didn't like this thought of trying to exercise the demons with fire and screamed at Damaso in front of the whole team, saying it was disrespectful to the jersey, but also team's property. And Jimmy said, I don't care if you burn your own shoes, but you don't burn what the team is providing. So it caused quite an uproar, but David, it worked. Whether or not it was just the sacrifice or a regression to the mean, Damaso hit 296 for the remainder of the season. The Blue Jays got out of the cellar, but they won only 86 games that year, finishing nine and a half games back in the AL East. Damaso ended up with his usual 281 average, but he was slower that year, only nine stolen bases. But in the course of that season, he tied a major league record, hitting four doubles in a single game. He's one of 40 plus players to have accomplished that, but it's still a record. And he recorded his 1000th hit, becoming the first Blue Jay to hit that mark. So after that season, he sees the writing on the wall due to his fire starter antics and knows that his days are numbered in Toronto. This is an odd quote that he had to the Ottawa citizen. He said, so I burned my uniform. It's like I'm probably going to make the Hall of Fame. They made such a big deal out of it. (laughs) (laughs) But he also said, I don't see myself back there. And then kind of went after Jimmy Williams and said he disrespected me. And it would take a long talk for them to, quote, fall in love again. (laughs) He called Williams a yes man and said that Jimmy took over a first place club and it went down. Yeah, that's not that's going to get you traded or dropped or waived or something. And it did. Uh, In February 1987, Damaso was traded with pitcher Luis Leal to Atlanta for pitcher Craig McMurtry. And that trade turned out equally bad for both teams. McMurtry never played for the Blue Jays. Leal never played for Atlanta. And Garcia, from this card, didn't do anything in 1987. He was removed from a spring training game with a sore knee. That turned out to be frayed cartilage. 
So he had to have surgery to remove that cartilage. He's supposed to miss about a month, but the pain didn't go away. So he started rehab, had a second surgery over the summer, was finally activated by Atlanta in September, but didn't play in a game that year. 1988, he comes into spring training ready to play and ready to challenge for a starting spot on the team. He he made a spot on the roster, but his knee just still wasn't right. Only played in 21 games, hitting 117, and was released by May. He ended up playing briefly with the Dodgers AAA affiliate, but things just didn't catch on for him. 1989, he gets another shot in Canada for the other team in Canada, playing with the Expos. He played in 80 games as a regular backup, hitting 271 in around 200 at-bats. He stayed healthy for most of the season, but unfortunately the Expos had a lot of young players coming up, and so they released him in September. But he proved himself. He proved that he could come back, and he felt ready to contribute for another team going into the offseason. 1990, he signs with the Yankees, but was released after spring training, and so he decides to hang him up at that point. So closing the book on Damaso Garcia's Stats in the major leagues, 11 seasons in the majors. He hit 283 with 1,108 hits, including 183 doubles and 27 triples, stealing 203 bases and scoring 490 runs. Two all-star games. When he left Toronto, Garcia was the all-time club leader in hits, at-bats, and stolen bases, and he still remains third on the leaderboard in steals, ninth in hits, and 11th in at-bats. In 2021, he was ranked as the 47th best Blue Jay of all time, which, you know, he's moved down a little bit over the years. But at the time, in the 80s, he was one of the greats on a very good Blue Jays team. Looking back through maybe the metrics that we have now, he had one great season in 1982. And that wasn't even one of the years that he made an all-star game. The years that he was an all-star He was valued at 1.9 wins above replacement. 1982, he was valued at 4.6. So a really good season, but it's really looking at it through the lens of today's baseball and what we expect from a second baseman, maybe expecting some more power, uh, better eye at the plate, and making better choices on the base paths. Domaso, I think, also is on the leaderboard for the Blue Jays in caught stealing. When he was asked about his retirement plans and whether he wanted to stay in baseball, Damaso said that he didn't think that anybody would give him a chance. He knew that he had a reputation, whether or not it was legitimate for being outspoken and stubborn. He said, BJ Birdie or whatever the hell that mascot's name was, has a better chance of being a manager or coach than I do because I have a big mouth. Or at least people in baseball think I have a big mouth. Yeah, (laughs) I think he said it all there. So in 1991, as he's beginning his retirement, it begins in a pretty scary way. Just a year after retiring, he started experiencing double vision and then had a seizure in his home and was diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor. He was told that he might only have six months to live. Surgery successfully removed the tumor, but it limited his mobility and speech. And he started aggressive, though ultimately successful, chemotherapy treatment. In October of 1992, he gets a call from Epi Guerrero. So he's recovering, and he gets a call from his old scout. And the Blue Jays wanted him to throw out the first pitch of the ALCS Game 1 against the A's. 
Damaso said he couldn't believe it, that it was an honor that he never expected. And he flew from the Dominican to Toronto. And the effects of surgery and chemotherapy were apparent. His hair was gone. He had a large, visible scar on his head. And he was weak from chemotherapy. Alfredo Griffin was back with the Blue Jays, still in the league. And he was there to help. He caught the first pitch. Of his tumor and the surgery, Garcia said baseball was harder. This is nothing, pointing at his head. Yeah, amazingly, he, after having a brain tumor and cancer treatment, he lived for nearly 30 more years afterwards, although he did have physical limitations. But after initially being given a prognosis of six months to live, to then live 30 more years afterward, and to have such a life afterwards, in those 30 years, he committed himself to a charity that was close to his heart. His son, Damaso Alejandro, suffered from hemophilia. He was born in Toronto, and because Damaso Sr. was a baseball player, his son had access to the best care. But when they went back to the Dominican, they learned about other families dealing with hemophilia, and they were stunned by the limited care that was available for hemophiliacs in the Dominican Republic. They saw toddlers who were on crutches because they didn't have access to medicine, and facilities to allow them to lead normal lives. So Damaso and his wife, Haiti, founded the Fundación Apoyo al Hemofílico, and they started camps for kids with hemophilia, running workshops for the families, working with medical groups to enhance care, and lobby the Dominican government to try to increase the almost non-existent funding to fight the disorder. He also ran a baseball camp for hemophiliac kids, in the Dominican Republic every year, inviting former teammates and other major leaguers to participate. Players like Pedro Martinez, Moises Alou, Tony Fernandez would go down and help these kids. Haiti said in 2002, his public life has been limited, but this health condition has not kept him from working with those less fortunate. Damaso's health did decline over the years. He had a stroke, his vision steadily worsened, And teammates who visited him said by the end, he barely recognized them. In February 2020, his Blue Jays teammate, Tony Fernandez, passed away from a kidney disease. Jesse Barfield, another Blue Jays legend, went to the services. And while he was there, he said, we had a chance to go by and visit with Damaso when we left Tony's funeral. He recognized us. Although he wasn't able to speak, his eyes did the talking for him. A few short months later, In April 2020, Damaso passed away at his home in the Dominican Republic, and he was survived by his wife, Haiti, a son, daughter, and three grandsons, and he was only 63 years old. So after taking a look at Damaso's life and career, David, what do we think about him as a player? It's interesting what made an all-star second baseman in the 1980s. As a player, he was an important part of the teams that made Toronto a contender in the American League. But when you look at his stats through advanced metrics, it's not very impressive. And I saw this quote that said, you don't walk off the island. And I've seen this attributed to a few players, including Rico Cardi, Juan Samuel, and Rafael Ramirez. Prospects from the Dominican Republic were told not to take walks, to swing away. Damaso's stats showed he lived by that creed. (laughs) He swung at everything. He made a lot of contact. But Nowadays, you cannot be a leadoff hitter with a career 309 on base percentage. Every season in his career, he had an OPS plus under 100. 
which is actually impressive for a guy who hit for a decent average. His career average was 283, and his stolen base percentage was only 70%. So <laughs> he was definitely a player of his time. He played solid defense. He hit well. Maybe now they would actually look at what he was doing at the plate, work out his patience, choose better times to run. All that being said, Domiso was a valuable player and a spark plug for some good Blue Jays teams. He was also loved by his teammates. And so maybe the final word on Domiso as a player goes to his good friend and our favorite Garth, Garth Orge, who said, I would look at his talent and go, oh my gosh, I wish I had that talent. He was a special athlete, but he was also a complex individual. Yeah, that's a bit of an understatement. So outspoken, you know, great quotes, but also really stubborn. And sensitive. And Pat Gillick, who was the general manager, and Domiso went after Pat Gillick and said Jimmy Williams was Pat Gillick's yes man. Pat Gillick said he was passionate and sensitive, but also that he was a great guy and a great player. And he was fiery, maybe a little bit too literally. (laughs) But he was also a team leader, and late in his career when he went to the Expos for that season, some of his coaches said that he was a great role model to younger Latin American players and younger Spanish-speaking players. He was an all-star and a hero to young players because of the way that he made it when others were were first coming up. So he was a really good player, a special athlete, a two-sport athlete, and a special person who really cared for those most vulnerable Even while he was struggling and fighting with his own health battles, he had time to help out sick children and the most vulnerable in our society. So thank you, Damaso Garcia and RIP. Well said. And thank you, David. It's a great story. And thank you to Weston McKinney out there for all you do as well. And thank you to you at home for listening. If you've ever had a bad night at the club, unlucky came home and just thought this outfit isn't doing it anymore and you set it on fire we'd love to hear from you on twitter we're at tops 1988 thanks a lot and we'll see you next week